Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to Midi the Podcast, a modern day podcast designed to answer all of your weird and wonderful pregnancy and postpartum questions. I'm your host, Monique Maitland, qualified midwife and nurse founder of the Midi Society and someone who is about to become your personal in-pocket midwife and virtual best friend. The Midi Society is a community-based platform where we interview leading healthcare professionals, new mummers and everyday people who share with us their experiences and reveal what they wish they knew before becoming a parent. So buckle up for this crazy and exciting ride. I'll be talking all things tits, bits, spew and poo. All right, let's get started. Today's episode is proudly brought to you by Training With Mates, your local supportive fitness community that strengthens health, performance and lifestyle goals through expert coaching, fun and mateship. Exercising whilst pregnant can be a little bit daunting with most of us not knowing what we actually can and can't do. But with Training With Mates Active Mum classes, personalised programs and extensive knowledge about safe exercise in pregnancy, they can help you best navigate staying fit and healthy during pregnancy and in the postpartum period. This is a friendly trigger warning. In this episode, we will discuss pregnancy loss. If you don't feel comfortable listening to this episode, please stop it here and listen to another one of our many episodes. In today's episode, I speak with Melbourne-based mama Megan Donaldson on her touching story of pregnancy loss, grief, resilience and navigating pregnancy after loss. Megan's beautiful daughter Violet was diagnosed with a rare genetic condition and born still into the world. Megan has continued to honour her legacy by founding the fundraiser Violet's Gift to help other families going through a similar experience. Megan is also the author of Still a Mum, a story of modern grief and life after loss. In this episode, Megan speaks openly about her experience with the aim to raise awareness around pregnancy loss and provide us with education and insight into what this looks like. Megan touches on life after loss and navigating falling pregnant again and some of the emotions surrounding this. This episode is full of heartbreak, but also highlights a mother's love for their child and the resilience many women have to overcome grief and loss. Please welcome the incredible mama, Megan. Hi, Megan, and welcome to Meaty the Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. For those listening at home, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So my name is Megan. I am 32, almost 33. Um, I live in Melbourne with my husband, our son Arlo, who's five and a half months, our daughter um, Violet, who was stillborn with cancer as part of our family, um, and two dogs. And there's a little bit more about you. You also are an author and you have... (laughs) You forgot to share that one too. Um, you also are an incredible author who has also put out a uh, a book to help mums navigating, you know, grief and loss, which we will touch on a bit later as well. You're also the founder of the fundraiser Violet's Gift. So there is a lot to you and you've done That's a lot. That's true. I have done both of those things. <laughs> you know, but your family's important too, but you still have achieved so many other wonderful things. Um, the main thing in this episode, we're going to navigate a lot to do with 
pregnancy loss. Um, so I guess let's start with you telling us a little bit more about your pregnancy journey. Sure. Um, so I got married when I was about 20, I think I was 29, and then decided like lots of people that we wanted to have a baby. Um, I thought that as soon as we started trying that it would just happen. Um, I spent, you know, most of my 20s trying not to get pregnant. So I thought, oh, yeah, we want a baby now. That's what we're going to do. Um, it took about six months to fall pregnant. And then it happened, which was amazing. And then, um, unfortunately, things didn't really go to plan. Um, at 12 weeks, we were told there were a few concerns with our baby. And that continued for over 10 weeks of so much testing, um, amniocentesis, MRIs, lots of things. And then we were told that our daughter, Violet, had um, a life-limiting condition pretty much. Um, we were told if born, she wouldn't be able to breathe on her own, constant seizures, no gross fine motor development, um, just no quality of life. Um, that she potentially wouldn't make it to the age of one. She'd be in hospital three to four times a week, um, just really, really bleak. So my husband and I made pretty much the world's worst decision that anyone could ever have to make um, to no longer continue with our pregnancy. And that was awful. And then we found out um, through testing and various things that that happened because Violet had a genetic condition that my husband and I are both carriers for, um, which we had zero idea about prior um, yeah. to all of this. I didn't know anything about genetic conditions or anything like that, no family history. Um, so then there was a whole heap of testing with that. And then through that, we were told that there was a definite one in four chance that it would happen again if we fell pregnant naturally. Mm. So that was something we made the decision together um, that that just wasn't an option for us. I wasn't happy to fall pregnant naturally, um, knowing that I potentially would go through that again. Yeah. Um, so we looked at IVF and we had to do even more testing um, to see if it was possible to do IVF. And, yeah, amazingly, it was possible to do IVF using Violet's DNA um, from her and from her autopsy they were able to create a test that meant our embryos could be tested to avoid this genetic condition, which is incredible. Wow. What a journey that would have been for you. I know, you know, the excitement of falling pregnant for the first time and then, you know, carrying her and finding out that and going through all those testing. And for those listening at home, Megan mentioned in like an amniocentesis. Do you want to explain a little bit about what that process was for further testing. Can you remember how you felt about doing that? <laughs> yes. So um, it was like 10 weeks of just constant uncertainties and unknown. And the reason it was 10 weeks was because that whole time we had hope. That whole time we were told it could be nothing, um, it could be something. Um, we're not quite sure what we're looking at here. As you know, babies at that gestation, you know, 12 to 22, 23 weeks, they're still developing so much and there's still so much that they can't see and don't know. So that's why we weren't sure any earlier. Um, but at about 16 weeks, I went to a scan and the concerns were still prominent. And so the doctor just said, um, I'd done the Harmony test or the NIPT 
and I'd done other tests, but that doesn't show everything. So they said, let's um, see if we can do an amniocentesis. How do you feel about that? Um, I was like, okay, I don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, they explained it, you know, as a big needle that goes in and takes some of the amniotic fluid to be tested and then that can look at further um, conditions. So that was, again, they explained the risks of that to me. Yeah. But at this point, I just needed information because I didn't know if things were okay or not. So pretty much yeah. within 10 minutes of them explaining it to me, I was lying on the table getting it done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, not the nicest procedure. Anyone who has had it, it is not great. Um, you yeah. lay there, there's no numbing or anything, and you have a sonographer sort of um, monitoring the baby to make sure that the baby's okay and to make sure that not too much fluid is taken out and then the needle's inserted and it's like 10 centimetres or something. Um, and then it pulls out the amniotic fluid. Yeah, and they do further testing on that, which is what they yeah. seem to think is more accurate than, you know, what you mentioned, the Harmony test or the NIPT test. Um, but it's a quite invasive procedure and, you know, it's something that you, like you said, you didn't even know it was a thing. So to be sitting yeah. there and deciding 10 minutes later that, all right, I'm going to have a needle put in my belly, it's quite daunting. Um But then, as you've mentioned, when you found out the news that, you know, she had this genetic condition and her, I guess, quality of life was going to be poor, your whole world would have just shattered. Like you said, it's such a big decision. And I think making that decision comes so much guilt. I know that a lot of women feel that. Can you talk us through navigating that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really complex um, thing obviously and it's yeah. something that lots of people have opinions on lots of people um, you know don't agree for religious reasons personal reasons whatever it might happen to be um, a lot of people since I've been open about it have even contacted me and told me they've gone through it but they don't tell anyone because they're too ashamed or they feel too bad or they're worried about the judgment um, of what other people will say about them yeah. I my husband and I <laughs> Um, we never use the word choice because for us personally, we don't feel that we had much choice. Our options were to have a baby that would never breathe on her own, who would be constantly having seizures, no gross fine motor development, um, obviously never feed on her own, never be able to pretty much do anything um, and also not be able to potentially live for very long. And we had that information or not continue with a pregnancy that we desperately wanted and, um, had tried for over six months like that's not you know an easy choice as such you know we to think a choice is what do I want for dinner tonight Thai or yeah. Indian takeaway it's not a choice it was literally yeah. the worst decision I have ever ever been faced with the worst decision any mum who's been in that position has been faced with one that yes lots of people you know who hear this will go, oh, what would I do if I was in that position? And people have opinions, but I think until you're actually faced with that reality, you've got no idea what you would do Um, Mm -hmm. and you've got no idea how it would feel to go through that. And it's really hard. I've had only a little bit of criticism. Um, My story obviously has been shared a bit since we've written our book and I had one person say that I shouldn't call what I've been through baby loss because I'm the one who's responsible. Um, So that wasn't really nice and that doesn't help lots of people who are currently navigating the complexities of what it feels like to be in this position um but I'm open about it because I love my daughter 
I wish with all of my heart that this was not the outcome and this is not what we were faced with. Um, But it is what happened and I will honour her as best I can for as long as I live. Yeah, and look what you've created and look what you've done now and you just speaking out, like saying so many women have already contacted you, it just shows like this is around us and it happens to probably a lot more women than we think and we know of but we don't talk about it because we're worried about that criticism like you face which is just awful. Like I can't, I'm actually speechless that someone said that to you because that wasn't an easy decision for you to make. And you would have gone through different scenarios in your head over and over and over again. And it's very easy for someone to go, oh, I would have done that, like you mm. said, if they, like before they're in that position. Um, so at the end of the day, I think you did what was best for you and your husband and your family. And you have honoured Violet in more ways than one. It's certainly a very challenging and a topic, like I said, that's not spoken about enough. So thank you for coming on and speaking out. Uh, but can you talk us through a little bit more about what happened next after deciding what path you were going to take with Violet? Can you talk us through the, your hospital experience? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as I said, the reason it didn't happen during those 10 weeks of us not knowing was because we had hope. I literally had hope up until the last um, in phone call we had. So the day I found out that Violet wasn't okay, I'd had an MRI and that had shown that she had a severe, complete brain malformation. Her brain was not the way our brains are, um, which is what led to this severe um, enlarged organs. All of these things that on the scans weren't clear. So it was the MRI that was pretty much the final, this is what it is, because I didn't mention before, but my results on my NIPT test and my amniocentesis were fine. So there were no tests because of what she had is quite rare. There were no tests that existed that we could have done to find it out any earlier. So I was just over 22 weeks when the um, MRI showed that and my doctor called that day and she just said to me um, Megan I'm so sorry this is not the result any of us had hoped for I've cancelled your appointment to see um, the neurologist we were seeing a childhood neurologist because the whole time I just kept saying like what do I have to do Um, are there surgeries are there people I can see is there someone who can explain the quality of life to me Um, you know if I need to get a wheelchair or a I don't know, whatever I needed to do, I would have done it. If there was a surgery I had to do where they could have operated when she was in my stomach, I would have done it. Um, We had appointments booked with the neurologist and people prior to the MRI. But then when my doctor called me with the MRI results, she told me she'd cancelled those appointments and made appointments with the geneticists and the genetic teams because um, she felt that the neurologist couldn't tell us anything that they didn't already know based on that. Um, so yes, then the meeting with the geneticists, they sat with us and just said, do you understand what this means? Do you know what is involved in this? Do you understand the quality of life? Um, you know, it was, it was bleak. It was really awful. I didn't Dr. Google anything prior to that day. And then that day I searched every possible disorder outcome. Um, I looked at support groups I looked at everything and there was nothing on the internet I could find that was positive 
And you know, when you look yeah. for something, you can always kind of sometimes find what you want to see on the internet. Yeah. Um, I couldn't find anything good or positive. So yeah. um, my husband, Chris, and I then pretty much, we both have a pretty good understanding um, of these sorts of things. We're pretty on board with one another's approach, you know, to life and beliefs and values. Um, so we both kind of knew what that would mean for us. We made the decision and then it actually took a week from making the decision until um, I was induced and went into labour. So, yeah, I'm sure that was a very, very long week for you. Absolutely. Um, every second day there was an appointment, you know, just to confirm so much paperwork. Um, do you understand what you're doing? Do you understand what this means? Um, and this whole time Violet was still in my tummy moving around. Yeah. Um, she was still there. So we kind of celebrated her in a way. Like I remember we went and saw The Lion King. Um, oh, we took her to the movies, you know, and we sat in the back crying, holding my stomach. Um, I read like every picture storybook I had. I We sang to her. We played music for her. Um, yeah. We just spent time together as a family. And then, yeah, the day came to be induced. So um, called up the hospital, said I'm coming in, could barely speak, you know, was beside myself. Um, yeah, wasn't in a great space at all, obviously. Um, it was not how I expected to go to the hospital for my first baby um, at all. I thought, you know, like the movies, I'd run in there with my waters breaking, like I'm having a baby now. Um, that was not our experience we went in and were pretty much ushered straight into a room past the other couples waiting to be induced that day um and yeah again met with a really beautiful midwife um who randomly was actually my midwife when I had my son as well which was so lovely Aww, so um, lovely. yeah and she was just delightful she was just there helped us held our hands um, you know, we met with the social worker, we had more doctors come in, more paperwork to sign, more, do you understand what this means? Um, some hospitals have a policy where they stop the heart before you actually have um, your baby in this circumstance. Um, but that wasn't the case for where I went and had Violet. So we were told that she could be born alive, but we had to sign do not resuscitate forms as well. Yeah. So just to add to um, an already pretty traumatizing situation that yeah. that was part of it too yeah it's so tough it's a lot in your face really quickly and it's a lot of medical terminology that is coming towards you that you've never thought about ever in your life and now you're in this situation that you're trying to navigate and you're already very emotional as it is to then have to speak to the social worker about what you're going to do once Violet has been birthed, it's just a lot to process and I I look after women that go through similar situations and it's just, it's a lot. It is a lot to process and there's nothing you can do to prepare. I'm sure you had strategies in place, but I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. But unfortunately, like we've said, so many women here go through it as well and thank goodness for you speaking out right now because you're going to help them listening to this yeah and that's the whole point that's what we hope yeah to do is to help people feel less alone and even I suppose give others a glimpse of what can happen not to scare people but so people can understand how complex it is and that 
um, you know, it, it does. You would see it, but even since it's happening here, you know, I know within a 20-kilometre radius probably six or seven people who have experienced it, and that's just the people I know. Yes, yeah, certainly. And I think another thing to mention is when a baby is birthed at that gestation, you know, we've heard of DNCs, but with that gestation, they can't actually perform the DNC. So you need to deliver Violet vaginally. Um, can you talk us through a bit more about her birth? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yes, I had the question, like, what, what does it look like? I didn't actually even know at that gestation what it would be like. Um, I didn't know if, you know, part of me was like, can you just have a cesarean and take her? I don't know. Like, what do you do? Um, but no, it was a natural um, birth. I So they give you um, medication. Well, this is my experience. They sort of insert the medication every, I think, four hours was what sort of happened mm-hmm. until you go into labour. Um, and there's a maximum of five doses until your body needs a break because it's pretty extreme what the medication does um, to you. So I started the process at like 11 a.m. And then it wasn't until 12 o'clock that, or 12 a.m. that night um, that I started to feel like I was in labour. That whole day was pretty awful. I was throwing up. I was shaking. You know, my body went into shock. It wasn't an easy day, obviously. I also knew that it was sort of the beginning of the end in a way um, too. Mm-hmm. So emotionally it wasn't easy. Um, then labor kicked in and just like any other labor from everyone I can understand, I was like, okay, this is happening. The contractions are happening. You know, I was moving around trying to get comfortable. Um, at one stage I was like, I think I need to go to the toilet, but I was told I couldn't push. So I was like, oh, well, whatever happens just has to happen on the bed (laughs) and you guys just have to deal with that situation. Um, (laughs) and then I was on the bed and it felt different. I had that heavy, heavy feeling. Um, something I do have to say as well, and this was just in my experience, I wasn't monitored as much um, at all. And I've had given birth since this. I was pretty much left a lot to ourselves because they obviously don't need to monitor the baby to make sure that she was okay. So it was really quiet. I think that's um, probably a really great way to describe it. And we were left a lot. A lot. Um, I had gone from zero or like one centimetre to 10 centimetres in like 45 minutes. So I was in significant pain in that time. And then we asked the doctor to come back again because I was like, I think I need, like, I think I need to push. I think I need to do something. Um, And then the doctor hadn't come yet, but there was a midwife there. And I just said to her, like, if I, if I feel like I have to push, can I? And she was like, oh yeah, go for it. Um, And again, I don't really think anyone thought maybe I was about to have a baby, but I just did one big push and Violet came half out completely in the amniotic sac. Um, And my poor husband was getting me ice at this stage. He was feeling very helpless and was getting ice. And then the midwife Mm. turned around and saw Violet sort of half out um, and hit the button next to my head and the lights flashed and everyone came running and poor Chris also came back at that time, um, I'm sure. Then there was a lot of people in the room when I was having her. Um, They had to take things and do things for the autopsy. Otherwise, we wouldn't have known, I suppose, what was actually happening because we didn't have a definite diagnosis at that stage. Um, So, yeah, then they did that. And then I guess my question, again, it was just silent. Obviously, there was no baby cries. 
um, and no one was congratulating us. No one was asking, you know, saying what she looked like. There was just no noise. And I just remember sitting there and asking, like, is she alive? Um, I pretty much knew she wasn't because I just felt, I just felt like she wasn't. Um, I was told she wasn't. And then they handed her to me and I have to say, I was so overwhelmed with love. It was yeah. one of the best and worst moments of my life because having her in my arms was everything I had ever hoped for. She was just perfection. I was scared beforehand about what she might look like um, and yeah. she just looked perfect, just like a tiny little doll, absolute perfection. Yeah. Um, I was just so overwhelmed with love. I didn't really cry much at this stage. I was just seriously obsessed with her like that feeling that people talk about I had that big time um poor Chris was the opposite he said once he saw the two of us together it like broke him um he could not stop crying and I was the total opposite I was just like oh look at my baby everyone look at her why are people not happy why are people not looking at her look how gorgeous she is yeah um yeah Wow, I've got goosebumps all over my entire body. <laughs> like you said, in that moment, what a special moment that was. And I think as a midwife in those situations when you're looking after women going through a similar experience, it's it's quite difficult because you have to judge the room and work out what's going to be best for the woman and her family and her baby and you don't want to either be in there too much, but then you don't want to leave them too much that you think they're not they're not like, why isn't she looking after us? But you're right, we don't monitor the babies in that situation. And at the end of the day, when I look after a woman going through a similar thing, all I think of is she's a person, she wants to be spoken to, she doesn't want to be treated any differently because of what she's going through. And for you, you your body did have to work hard to give birth to Violet. And I think a lot of people don't realise that, that you you need to go into labour and your cervix is still dilating and your uterus is contracting. Um, can you talk us through some of your mindset with that, knowing I'm going through all of this and I know what the outcome is going to be? I think you've just mentioned a really good point as well. The amount of people that didn't know I had given birth was phenomenal. I had yeah. People asking me like two days after I'd had Violet why I wasn't going back to work yet, um, what I was doing. And it was just lack of understanding. People just could not comprehend that I had given birth. Um, I think for me it was really, really hard because up until this point she was always with me and I knew yeah. that giving birth was kind of the beginning of literally saying goodbye. Um, we weren't sure how long we were going to spend together. We did have a cuddle cot, um, which is a cooling device that the babies can stay with you in. I know you know what that is, but I thought I'd explain. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we weren't sure how long we'd stay in our heads. We were like, okay, we'll just stay one night. Um, This was a Friday because I don't know how long do you stay? What do you do? It's a really awkward situation, but then that's the only time you ever have there. Um, There was a little bit of an issue with the paperwork around her Um, discharge papers and going with the funeral home so we were told that because it was the weekend it couldn't be addressed until the Monday and she would just have to go down um, into the the morgue or whatever I'm not sure what you call it um, down below and so we said at that stage well I don't feel comfortable with that we are going to leave when she leaves 
um, which again isn't what everyone would do in that situation. But we ended up having the best weekend together. Again, I know it's hard to imagine, but we um, played, you know, games with her on us. I sang nursery rhymes to her. I read books to her. I held her. I cuddled her in bed. I have photos of her. Um, my husband Chris. His favourite memory is watching North Melbourne play football with her on, um, you know, he was watching it on the iPad and she was laying on his chest and he was yeah. like, that's his favourite memory with her. Um, again, super weird I get if you've never been in this position or never experienced anything like this because prior to this, I think if someone had have told me that they did that with a baby who wasn't alive, I would definitely question it um or not question it but you can't help go oh would I do that that's weird um so I get it but then in the time that was the only time I was ever going to get to spend with my daughter and so I just have we just made the most of it yeah and that's what felt best for you at that time and you didn't know how you were going to feel you could have felt completely different but you didn't know until that moment and how special that you created so many memories in that short time that you had with her and I think a lot of parents don't do that and you know listening to you it sounds like you would really recommend doing that and spending as much time with your baby as you could Um, and then Talk us through leaving the hospital. How did that feel knowing that, you know, you had to leave little Violet at the hospital and you were going home without a baby in your arms? That was by far the worst moment of my entire life. Um, By far the worst experience I've ever had. And even now, like when I think about it, I just feel so sad. Um, Everything up until that point was hard. Giving birth was hard. Making a decision was hard. Everything was hard, but this was it. This I can never, ever get another minute back with her. I never would get to hold her again. I would never get to see her again. Um, that's just, yeah, even now, like, I'm like, oh, it just makes me so sad to think about. Yeah. Um, we had a really beautiful funeral director and they called and gave us three options. And it was either we leave and Violet stays in the hospital and they come and collect her. They come and we all walk to the car together and we hand her to them and we go our separate way or they come in and they take her and then we leave. Um, All of them are pretty crap. I don't know if I can say shit, but they're all, you know, they're not great. (laughs) Okay, they're all pretty shit and I feel like that's even a polite way to say it. Um, None of them were good options, obviously, but we thought about it and decided that um, I would get discharged and then they would come in and take her from us and then we would go because I just couldn't stand leaving her behind even I know like it's it's these sort of decisions that like it's another crappy decision on top of another crappy decision um yeah and so the midwife came in and just said I've had the phone call they'll be here in 45 minutes And my husband and I were like, oh, my God, 45 minutes. Like how do you pack a lifetime of memories and feelings and everything into 45 minutes? Like how how can you even possibly do that? Um, So we just held her. We changed her outfit um, because we wanted to keep the one she'd worn the whole time. We organised the blanket. Um, We had a Bears of Hope Bear, which is a great organisation, and we decided we'd send that with her so she wasn't alone. Um, 
And then, you know, I obviously was watching the time like a hawk. I was like, oh, God, I've only got 30 minutes left with her. I've only got mm. 15 minutes left with her. Um, took another 1,000 photos, kissed her, like, everywhere just so that I could make sure I did. Um, Everything. Then they came in and came over and just said, like, hi, I'm so-and-so. I can't remember their name. There was a man and a woman. I can't remember their names. Um, they were lovely um, given the circumstance. Um, he placed a bag on the bed and just said, um, because I'm going out into public, I need to place her in here and we need to zip the bag. Do you want to place her in here or do you want me to? And I was like, okay, I'll do it. Um, Chris and I kissed her. I placed her in the bag. He zipped her in, said, I'm going to take good care of your daughter. Um, he asked if he could give me a hug. He gave me a hug, shook Chris's hand and then walked out of the room. Um, and I, like he walked out taking a part of me. I was broken, beyond broken. Um, it was, I've never, ever, ever cried like that before. Um, like I remember hearing this sound and I was like, oh, I couldn't even like work out what it was and then it was me. Um, like it was just, yeah, the worst thing ever. The two midwives who had been with us throughout a lot of it came in as well and they were crying with us. Um, so it was just a massive cry fest. And then I was like, okay, I want to leave now. Like get me out of here um and we walked out at the same time but another couple were walking out with their baby <laughs> and yeah. we had our paperwork um which I felt like was the perfect you know image of our situation we were walking out with a handful of paperwork and people were looking out with their brand new baby um the midwives kindly asked them to go back into their room <laughs> um so we could leave and then yeah then we came home um and it was a total blur like the first few weeks it was just yeah a nightmare like I would go to sleep crying I would wake up and I'd feel fine for like five seconds before I remembered and then I'd be crying um yeah it was just awful yeah and I don't think there's any other word that could describe it because it is there's as much as you created those wonderful memories it is awful it's something that you know you wish probably never happened to you and that never happens to anyone but it did and you honestly dealt with it and navigated that period as well as you could have um my eyes are pulling with water I've joined the cry fest um but how how special that she had such a great time with you when she was with you and a lot of what you just said resonates with me because my mum actually lost a baby at full term and she said the same thing. The hardest thing was leaving the hospital and she just felt her arms always, she describes this, her arms just felt heavy because she knew that she was leaving the hospital without a baby in her arms and saw people leaving with the baby. And still, you you gave birth to her. Your body still went through that. You've gone home and your body has still just, given birth and like you said a lot of people forget that um navigating that postpartum period was there any changes to your body did you have any milk supply that came in um firstly I'm really sorry to hear about your mum as well that's yeah something I just wouldn't wish upon anyone it's just awful yeah um I took a tablet to stop my milk supply coming in but I still had like the engorgement um yeah which wasn't great. I had 
a little bit of an issue with my body, I suppose, not a little bit of an issue um, for a little while because I had to wear maternity clothes still because nothing else fit me. But then that just felt like another slap in the face. Like I was wearing maternity clothes with no baby and I wasn't pregnant. Um, so that was just another shitty reminder thing I had to go through. Um, yeah. And even exercising and things like, because I didn't have a baby with me, it was just so easy to forget that I'd given birth for not just me, but for everyone. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, oh, I really should try and lose a bit of weight because I obviously still had a bit of weight. Um, you know, I really should try and do this. But then I'd do something and I'd be sore. And I was like, well, I gave birth five days ago. I gave birth however long ago. Of course I feel like this. Um, but it's easy to forget when you haven't got a baby with you. Yeah, yeah. And what were some of the strategies that I guess you implemented during this time? Were there in terms of your support were there days where you felt really supported and then also were there days that you didn't yep um I saw a psychologist as soon as I could um my husband and I attended support groups together as well um I spoke I'm a talker <laughs> in general I spoke Me too. um yeah <laughs> I spoke in general to like every all my family and friends I was really open about what we were going through um, and was really lucky that they, you know, they were here for it. They didn't obviously understand because they hadn't been through it, but I just constantly tried to explain um, to them what I was feeling and going through. My husband was an amazing support as well. You know, he was honest in front of me. He cried with me. Um, we both acknowledge Violet as she's our daughter and part of our family, as I said at the start. You know, when somebody asks how many kids I've got, I always include her as my firstborn. Um, I went, I went, I did take maternity leave. So I took, I mean, again, I had a baby, (laughs) I didn't have it with me, but I was entitled entitled to maternity leave. Yeah. Um, so I took maternity leave and it probably took over a month or so, um, before I was ready to sort of do anything. Um, it was kind of survival before then. And then I decided I just really wanted to do something to remember her. Um, and then I spent a fair bit of energy on that just And that really, really helped me. Just a way to connect um, with her. Yeah. And I think also she was a registrable birth. You know, she was a baby. She was entitled to a funeral um, to be acknowledged that she was with us on earth. How did you commemorate her? Did you have a funeral? didn't have a funeral at the time I we went to the funeral home when we had to discuss like what would happen with her body um and they showed us these little tiny coffins and things and I just couldn't I could not at that time even comprehend it so we had her cremated um and we had her urn in our house we talked about spreading her ashes but as soon as we brought her home I was like I don't want to part with her again Mm. so that hasn't happened because it was like she's finally back with us um we had what I called a celebration of Violet which is kind of like a memorial and that happened maybe two or three months later and it was so perfect and I was so glad that I did it in a time that I was sort of ready um we had it at a surf lifesaving club overlooking the water I had decorations, you know, violet decorations, rainbow decorations. Um, The food was like my pregnancy craving food. I had little signs around the room. Like, did you know um, Violet's favourite food was oranges um, and digestive biscuits because that's what I ate when I was pregnant. You know, did you know her favourite music was this because that was a song she danced to. 
um, we had photos of her up and we just invited our close family and friends. And it was just so perfect. And, you know, a couple of people said to us that they felt like they'd met her for the first time that day um, because they got to see her. And, you know, a couple of friends didn't understand because they'd had a miscarriage, but they didn't know what this was like. And then they saw her and they're like, we're so sorry, we didn't get it. Um, Chris and I both spoke and then we listened to the song Winter Bear, which is just if anyone has lost a baby, that song will break you, but it is also very beautiful. Um, So we listened to that song and then everyone went out onto the decking and we blew bubbles to her and that was just perfect. Everyone had little candles that they took that they could light on her due due date and first birthday and which they didn't send us photos of it. Um, It was just like I'd I'd planned it, (laughs) like I had – special invitations made by the same person who made our wedding invitations it was like everything was planned perfectly um and it just felt like a beautiful way to remember her it sounded like a beautiful way to remember her um and how special you got to share that with your friends and family and you I'm sure you really felt like Violet was present with you there absolutely I sort of I know like it's a bit over the top, but I explained it to anyone who didn't really get it that this was like her first birthday, 21st, everything I would yeah. ever get to do for her wrapped in one. So I was going for it. It was going to be the most over the top um, memorial celebration that anyone had been to. I'd never been to anything like this, so I didn't really have um, anything to base it off. I was just making it up what felt right for us. Yeah, and at the end of the day, that's all that matters what's right for you and your family and Violet deserved to be celebrated because she was she was part of you and yeah she holds a big part of you still now so can you talk us through I guess Violet's gift you've created a fundraiser um, Mm -hmm. and you've also created an amazing book and resource for other mums maybe going through a similar experience called Still a Mum can -hmm. you explain to us how I guess you created these and I mean, you've definitely touched on the reasons why, but even elaborate a little bit more. Absolutely. So um, it was a couple of months, wasn't even a couple of months, maybe a month into my maternity leave and I was at home. I was like, I just have to do something. I need to make a difference to other people um, who have been in this position. And I was like, how can I get into the hospital and do it? Do I just, do I donate a cuddle cot? I know that that's um, something that people can do. I don't know. I was just toying with all these ideas and I went through all the paperwork I had and I had a phone number for the um, social worker. So I called her and just said, I'd really like to do something for the hospital in memory of Violet, but also to help others. Do you have any ideas? Um, I haven't started it yet, but I'd really like to do something. And I was invited down to meet with her and the head of the women's health unit. And I didn't really have any expectations, but I was like, I'm going to take this make this like a professional work meeting. I work in education. So I was like hair done, dressed, ready, had my notebook and pen and I was I was here for business. Um, You're looking the real deal. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't recognize me probably because the last time they saw me, I did not look like that, but mm-hmm. I was ready. Um, and it was just an amazing meeting, way better than I could have imagined. They asked for my feedback on everything. Um, I shared some of the things I wasn't, you know, as happy with some of the things that I thought were really good, they were able to make a few tweaks and changes to the processes at the hospital, which is amazing. Um, and then they asked me about the room we were in and what I thought about it. I was like, well, 
it was pretty crappy and boring as a hospital room. Um, it wasn't very exciting. And they just said, um, what do you think about maybe making a loss room? And as soon as that seed was planted, I was like, yes, I will do it. Whatever you need, I will get it done. Um, and then we kind of just kept, you know, spitballing these ideas. And I don't know how much they thought I would actually do or get done, but they sort of left it with me. Um, and then I, you know, chatted to a few people that had done fundraisers, had a bit of a think about what I could do. Um, spoke to someone who did social media, which not my area of expertise, um, did lots of things and then was like, okay, I'm going to attempt to raise all of this money and I need a minimum of $15,000 to do it and I'm just going to go for it. I'm not doing much else right now on maternity leave. Let's see what happens. Um, I made like a content calendar. <laughs> I did all my planning. I got it all ready and within... We launched it on Violet's due date as well, which was really special um, for us because it was a nice connection. And it was within a couple of months we'd had over $16,000 raised. Um, so then I contacted the hospital. I was like, I've got the money. I'm ready. What do you need? And I think they were a bit taken aback um, by that. And then over the next however long, we were able to create the room, you know, a beautiful wall mural, um, paint, carpet we put a kitchenette in there so they didn't families didn't have to go into the rest of the maternity ward we did talk about the location but it just had to be on the maternity ward due to um you know access to midwives access to things um new couch that folded out to a double bed if the case they wanted family or other people to stay um we just went for it we were also able to do a couple of cuddle cots um books for the room I'm still slowly working, but I've been a bit busy. Um, I haven't done too much more at the moment. But you know, oh, we've already making, done a lot. <laughs> yeah, we've been we're trying to make memory boxes as well. And I mean, my dream would be to actually register. You know, this is a proper sort of charity situation. And imagine having these rooms in all the hospitals. Um, I've yeah. learned a little bit from this. Should, yeah, yeah, it shouldn't have to be. It should just be a thing. But, yeah, it should be a thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that even in itself, I get messages from people randomly now that have stayed in the room for various things or, you know, that was part of their experience and they always just say that it was obviously heartbreaking but that changed everything for them and it gave them a bit of hope and gave them a bit of peace. Um, and, oh, that feeling, you know, knowing that we were able to do that is just amazing. Um, I gave birth to my son five and a half months ago and, we was the same hospital and I just said if there's no one using the room is there any chance we could stay there and by chance there was no one in the room so we got to stay in there as well um with him which was just so amazing and different and yeah obviously very different to when I was there with Violet but to be in that room knowing yeah, yeah it was just incredible and that she you know ultimately both you and her created that and you were together as a family of four yeah which yeah it was just so special to yeah be a part of that and so yeah that's the fundraiser what an amazing woman you are and what an amazing man Chris is and what an amazing beautiful little girl little Violet is because look what you created and through that adversity in those really tough times you have managed to help probably hundreds of women and that is going to continue to grow and you're constantly going to have an impact on them and how special that 
through that really tough moment, the worst moment of your life, you have created Violet's gift and it's a gift, you know, she is a gift and it's just keeping on giving. So a credit to you and your willpower and strength to find a good outcome in a bad situation. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> you're being so <laughs> modest, but you're amazing. <laughs> Thanks. That's not why I came on this podcast, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but let's keep going and talking about some of the other things you've created because we've got so many. Can you talk us through Still a Mum? So you are an amazing well, author, which I haven't yet read the book, but after this I'm inspired and I will. Um, can you talk us through creating that? Yeah. So even you calling me an author is very, very strange for me um, because I still don't really see myself as that. Um, that is definitely not my job description um, at all. But pretty much what happened was I was just writing what we'd been through at the start just because I was so terrified I would forget. Um, yeah. I was just so, so scared. You know, what happens if I forgot what we went through? What happens if I forgot what it was like when she was born? What happens if... I don't have any, you know, I don't have any continued memories with her. These are the only ones I have. I just can't forget what happened. Um, so I just was writing not a book. It was like just a word vomit situation, just typing every day, crying, typing, crying, typing situation. Um, and then one day, this is really random, but a lady, <laughs> um, her name's Amy Malloy, and she won't mind, I'm sure, the shout out, but she used to be an editor of Grazia. I used to just follow her and really like, um, I don't know, she was an author. And I was following her on Instagram and she just posted this one day that she was looking for a new writing student to mentor. And I happened to see it and I was on maternity leave and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to message her. What have I got to lose? I'm not an author, but who cares? I've got a story. Um, <laughs> so I just, you know, slid into her DMs and then she said, let's have a chat. Um, let's have a meeting. We had a meeting and she was like, oh, you, you've got a book here. You can write a book. And I was like, what? I can write a book. This is weird. Um, and then we wrote a book. Like I wrote it and then, you know, she was my person. But I was like, what about this? Does this sound right? What do I do when I write a book? How do you edit a book? How do you get a book published? What do you do? Um, <laughs> she, she was that person for me because I had no idea. Um, so I wrote the book from Violet's birthday, like when she was born until her first birthday. So the last chapter is her first birthday. And so it was written in real time, um, over the year. So the book is, anyone that reads it now, you'll be able to pretty much see like, this is what it started like. And this is kind of how it ended a year later. Um, and when I finished the book, the first few chapters were so hard to read because it is not how I felt a year later. Yeah. Um, but obviously I didn't change it because I feel like there would be people who were in that position, you know, at that time that needed yeah. to read that. Um, yeah. And then I sent it out, got rejected lots of times by different publishers and then got accepted by someone and it got published just recently in November last year. Um, the timing was, yeah, it was just all, it's all just happened. It was definitely not something I said I'm going to write a book I'm an author now this is what I do um and that has been amazing as well you know the feedback I've received has just been incredible the amount of women who have experienced what we went through who no longer feel alone um obviously the book is sad in parts my story is sad in parts 
but the um the main part that people are taking away is it gives them hope and I couldn't ask for anything more than that um I think my reason for putting it out there it is very personal but if I can help anyone feel less alone amazing but also if I can help anyone understand that's the other yeah. part of it is people who maybe haven't had experiences like this if they can understand something um that would make me you know pretty happy as well um yeah wow I am speechless you are incredible um it sounds it sounds familiar in the way that I created this podcast I was like I actually have no idea how to do it but if someone could just give me some tips and I'll get yeah. started and that's what happened um but you have certainly touched many people already and it's only been published in November and I can't wait to read it but a credit to you and what a good memory for you as well to look back at those sad times in the beginning and those moments I guess where you've had to overcome so many barriers and obstacles and look at you now you're thriving and from that horrible experience have created something so special and so wonderful um but next we're going to touch on your little boy Arlo since the loss of Violet you have had another baby who you've mm-hmm. mentioned to me before was is now five months old yeah. Can you talk us through a little bit about falling pregnant again and some of the emotions and feelings that came with pregnancy after loss? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I just have to mention as well, the book doesn't include anything to do with Arlo. It was really important for me to finish the book um, without saying, and I had another baby. It's all wrapped up in a nice pretty bow. It's perfect. Um, here yeah. I am. Um, I was happy when the book finished. I didn't know if I could have more kids at that stage. So as I mentioned earlier, we were told that there was a one in four chance that this would happen again. So um, we didn't know if we could do IVF. We didn't know what would happen because no tests existed. So I didn't take a break at all. I was eager to be pregnant as soon as I could straight after having Violet, um, but it took two years. He was born almost exactly two years later. Um, so we had to do all the testing to find out what the gene was that caused this, to find out what gene it was in Chris and I, um, to find out if they could do a test for us to do IVF. And that took almost a year um, before that happened. Then we got the good news um, that, yes, they could do it. Yes, they found the gene, which doesn't happen for everyone. So that is a really big deal um, that they were able to do that for us. And then it was around Violet's first birthday. Um, I got the medication and did my first injection for um, the embryos and, you know, starting the egg retrieval process. Um, so we went through all of that. And then I we got four embryos um, from our first round. Three of them were healthy and one wasn't. So then we, again, I didn't take a break. I was like, okay, when do I get to have an embryo? <laughs> when does this happen? Um, the first transfer didn't work, which, you know, wasn't easy. That was pretty hard. Um, and then I called the fertility, well, they called to tell me it didn't work. And I was like, okay, well, when do I go again? Um, and they checked and they said, as long as I felt okay, we could start again pretty much straight away. So I was like, yep, do it. Um, let's go. And then I fell pregnant which with Arlo, which was amazing, but also really, um, obviously, pregnancy after loss isn't easy. If I could have hidden my pregnancy, the entire pregnancy, I would have. 
um, if I could have avoided anyone else knowing about it, I would have. I just really needed, I guess, to protect myself in a way. I was really scared um, what it would be like. So the other thing was, I know we talked about amniocentesis earlier. I had always known that I had to do one again and will have to do one with any future pregnancies. When I say have to, I, I don't have to do anything. I'm choosing to. Um, because the genetic testing of the embryos is only 97% accurate. And so there's a 3% chance that it still could not be okay. And given the fact that the condition we were talking with, you know, I was in a really small percentage of people that experienced this. I didn't want to risk it. Um, so I kind of wanted to just get through the milestones. You know, I, I wanted to get past 12 weeks. Then I wanted to get past the amniocentesis at 16 weeks. Then I wanted to get past 20 weeks. And unfortunately, I can kind of laugh now because, I mean, it's not funny, but when you go through some crappy stuff, you're like, seriously, how did that happen? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. at, at 20 weeks, we were told that his brain ventricles were enlarged, which was a freak thing, nothing to do with anything we'd been through. And then I had to do another MRI. And like most people I know have never had an amniocentesis, let alone an MRI, but both of my pregnancies, I've happened to have both. Um and then, yeah, his MRI was okay. It, they said worst-case scenario might be delayed motor skills. And I was like, that's fine. I can get an occupational therapist. Um, yeah. That's fine. I don't care about that. Um, and yeah. then, anyway, that corrected itself and that was fine. And then, yeah, I had to tell people I was pregnant. I mean, I wanted to avoid it for as long as I could, but I got really big really quickly. You know, IVF medication, second baby, a combination of everything. Um, so I kind of had to announce it sooner than I wanted. And then I guess the one thing I did to help was kept busy. I yeah. managed to write and publish a book. Um, I, you know, got a um, promotion at work. I was working in a new, um, you know, in a new role, leading lots of people. I was doing um, lots of things in my life to not focus on the fact that I was pregnant because it terrified me. Yeah. Well, you definitely stayed busy. I think you did more than <laughs> more than stay busy because that's a lot in a short period of time. <laughs> um, but like what you just said, a lot of women do feel that the fear of being pregnant of, I guess, just in the back of their head is, is when is something going to go wrong? Absolutely. Like, that's what I hear a lot. I just thought something was bound to happen. It couldn't, it couldn't go well. Yeah, which is why, like, I laugh because it's not funny. But, you know, at 20 weeks, I was like, great, once I get through this scan and everything's perfect, I can breathe. And my doctor was like, I'm so sorry. I don't know. This is just a real unfortunate freak thing that's happened. But his brain ventricles are in line. I was like, what the How is this happened? <laughs> um, yeah, just another till, thing. Just another thing. It took until 33 weeks for that to correct itself and be fine again. Um, yeah. You know, and then at the end of the pregnancy, I, he was always measuring large, which was kind of fine. My husband was like 11 pound when he was born. So that was not a um, concern for me. But then I had no movement, like reduced movement for when I was 38 weeks. And, you know, after you've lost a baby, not ideal. Um, yeah. So I was monitored for that in hospital. I was going in like every day getting monitored. And then in the end, they just said, do you want us to induce you? And I was like, please, um, please just, I don't care now. 
100%. I know that, you know, there's a lot of things against being induced, but I think once you've been through what we've been through, you don't care. You just want them here healthy. Um, same with my birth. Obviously, you know, when you're induced, you, you would know it's pretty extreme um, and pretty quick. Your body, like it's intense. Um, when I was induced, you know, I was being monitored and then his heart rate kept um, going up too much. You know, I had extra nurses coming in. I had doctors coming in. Um, which I also know isn't the process if everything was going well. Um, and then it kept going, you know, the doctor went home but asked to be called on the phone to be updated. I'm also aware that that's not normal if things are going well. Um, yeah. And then it got to the point, you know, I'd been going through this for like 12 hours and I just was like, no, thank you. I'm having a cesarean now. Um, can I please see everyone? I don't want to do this anymore. He's distressed um, they'd done the lactate, which I'd never heard of before. Yeah. Um, they'd done that. The first one was okay. The second one was not good. Um, they kept monitoring. They kept making me move positions because they couldn't read him. Um, yeah. And I think I like in the end when he was born, he was distressed when they were pulling him out by a cesarean that I had requested. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was so glad I did that is not everyone's birth journey or birth story, but my worst case scenario was them calling an emergency cesarean and not knowing if he would be born okay. Um, yeah. So to me, I was like, I feel, I feel like this is not going well. I feel like I'm going to end up there anyway. And you're just being as cautious as you can waiting until it reaches that limit of this isn't okay. Um, I'm not interested in that. Just do it. Get him out. I'm ready. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, it was classified an emergency cesarean, but I was not upset about it. I was fine. I mean, I was hysterically crying, saying I hope my baby's alive the whole time because that's all yeah. I kept thinking. Um, yeah. But he was, and it was amazing, and he was here, and he was placed in our arms, and I was like, oh, my God, I have he's here. He's here. This is amazing. Wow. That is amazing. And he came out all fine, breathing. Yeah. He, like, yeah. he pooed everywhere. Um, and they said that he was, you know, he looked like it was probably going to be an emergency cesarean anyway. Yeah. Um, but he was big. He met everything, breathing fine, handed straight to my husband, you know, on my head because obviously I was still, um, I was shaking and everything from the medication of the cesarean. And then, yeah. yeah, we went up to Violet's room and I got to be with him. And he is just the best like when I say the best, like he's just a delight. He's literally like a ray of sunshine and we're constant. like Violet has chosen him for us for a reason. You know, you walk past him and he just smiles like anyone. He gives him away very freely and he works it, but he's like the happiest baby. Um, and I'm just obsessed with him. Like he's just delightful. <laughs> How special. What a beautiful little boy. <laughs> he really is. Violet, you know, has chosen him to help heal you and I can't even imagine the emotions that you would have gone through on that day of you know I'm coming in to be induced I did that with Violet like there would have been a lot of overwhelming emotions and the fact that you're like nah I'm ready get him out I think that was so fair because you're already heightened and you want to make this experience memorable and you did what was best for you and you had you were safe and he was safe and at the end of the day that's all that matters 
it's funny because it was like I'd prepared for this birth to be different. I'd done the hypnobirthing. I had my playlists. I had my card. I had my TENS machine. I had everything. And I was like, and I wanted a cesarean. <laughs> but he's here. <laughs> he's here. And that's what you needed to do. And I think everyone would understand why you felt those feelings. Um, can you talk us through, I guess, after little Arlo came into the world, looking back on your whole experience as a whole, what I guess was best for other people to do? Like when for if midwives are listening to this, when you were being looked after in labour or in the hospital or even in the community, what were things people were saying which either were really helpful and what were things that, you know, you're like you're not really understanding, maybe don't say that? It's a hard question. It really is for me. But probably the biggest thing that I appreciate and would like people to do is now that Arlo's here, obviously I'm out in the world with a baby. I'm constantly asked, um, is he your first? Is this your first time giving birth? Is he, you know, what that's literally an everyday question I get. And I always say, no, he's my second. And then I, if they ask me how old, then I explain, all I just say was my daughter Violet was stillborn. What I wish is that people didn't shy away from that. People get yeah. so uncomfortable. Um, I'm not uncomfortable, obviously. I say it because she is my daughter and I want her acknowledged. Um, but people, when I do say it, are like, oh, but, oh, sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. You know, if they could run away from me, some people would. Um, yeah. Others sometimes literally don't even say sorry. They're just like, oh, he's cute. And then that's the end of that. Um, other people, it's, yeah, it's very, very complex. So my biggest thing would be, you know, sit in the uncomfortable you don't have to be there long just acknowledge it um you know she's my daughter he's my son even just hearing you you know you keep mentioning her and using her name my heart is like oh this is just so nice (laughs) somebody's acknowledging my baby um yeah I don't know I don't know if that's answered your question but that's sort of one of the biggest things no, it certainly does. And I guess that's why I asked about it, about both of them, because once you went through the loss of Violet, obviously people were talking about her, but now you also have your son and sometimes people don't, obviously people don't see that you've already had a baby and I'm sure there has been some uncomfortable questions for you. Um, But we said that we would talk for, what, 40, 45 minutes and the clock is ticking at an hour, <laughs> over an hour. <laughs> Which we're both talkers, so we knew that this would happen and everything that you were saying is so special and so it's a much-needed resource. So we could talk about this for hours and hours on end. Um, But I'm so glad that you've shared this story with us and I'm so happy for you the way that you are now and how much you've created going through what you did. And I think that's also Violet's gift to you is she's – she's changed you and you've been able to create so many things that are going to help so many other people and even speaking to me like I see women go through similar experiences but I still need to know more about how to speak to women that I look after in labor and you've helped me and yeah so thank you for that um but I'm so glad that little Arlo is the ray of sunshine and your rainbow baby that you deserved and There's going to be so many beautiful memories to come with him. And one day he'll learn a little bit more about his older sister, Violet. 
Absolutely. So let's finish off this episode with Mons Fast Five. And this can either be about motherhood or your um, pregnancy loss in general. So looking back, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself now that you are a mum? So I guess the first thing was there is no right way to do things. I think um, there's a thousand wrong ways to do things according to, I don't know, everyone. You know, everyone has opinions depending on who you talk to about things you shouldn't do, (laughs) but there is no right way to do it. And that's probably been the biggest lesson for me. Like, yeah, just do whatever you think because someone will say it's wrong. Someone will say it's right. You just can't win pretty much in the world of motherhood. Um, And so that's the other thing is my best is good enough. You know, I'm always trying my best. Most mums are trying their best and that is good enough. They're okay. Yeah, and at the end of every episode I say, remember, you're doing the best you can and some days your best might look better than the other days but at the end of the day, that's all that you can do. Absolutely. Number two, something you wish you weren't so hard on yourself for? Probably um, having moments where things are tough and I just don't enjoy it, you know, I'm not enjoying them. I get a bit of guilt around those feelings like especially, you know, with Arlo if something was hard. I'm like, oh, but I've I've gone through so much for him to be here. I shouldn't feel this way. Um, but also I'm a human and it's completely normal to feel that way. Um, even with Violet as well, sometimes I can find myself when I had her, I would get upset if I felt really down. And then I would get upset if I felt happy because I felt guilty that I shouldn't be happy. So I think it's yeah. just about feelings, you know, feel the feelings. <laughs> you can't really control what they are. Um, and don't be hard on yourself about it. You're human. A hundred percent. One thing you wish you knew more about? This one is very much related to my whole experience, but genetics and genetic conditions. Um, I don't know, you know, if you've heard much about it, but there are tests that people can do. Mackenzie's mission is big on doing these sorts of tests and couples can do it before you start. It's like a hundred and something dollars you spit in a tube and it tells you if you're a carrier of conditions and I just wish I knew that. I know that a lot of people are advocating to get that into GPs and places where couples, when they're thinking about planning for a baby, can go through that. Um, but I didn't know. I knew nothing about any of that before. Yeah. yeah. And that might have made this journey a little bit easier for you if you did. Absolutely. And um, one thing you wish someone told you before becoming a mum? Um, this one's hard because I feel like everyone tells you everything. <laughs> Yeah. I was thinking about this and I was like, people don't stop telling you things before you're about to have a baby. Um, yeah. One thing is just I wish I was told that my doctor actually told me was just ignore all the advice. <laughs> she was like, my best piece of advice is just ignore it all and do what you think's right. And I was like, oh, I love that. Well, I love that. <laughs> ignore, <Yeah>. the, <laughs> ignore the advice. <laughs> um, yeah. And your favourite motherhood hack? This one was also hard because I I couldn't actually think of any hacks and then I Googled motherhood hacks to see if I did any of them. (laughs) Um, That's not the point. You're not supposed to cheat. (laughs) Well, I didn't do any of them, so I didn't cheat. And then I was literally, I asked my husband, I asked my mum, I was like, do I do anything to you that seems like a hack? And they're like, I don't know. Um, So the only thing I don't know, people might know this though, I don't know, um, is for a porticot there's a blockout blind you can buy to help them sleep. So instead of having to put blackout blinds or whatever in your bedroom or wherever when you go away, um, you just put it over the portico and it's completely safe. I don't know if that's a hack or not, but I felt like that was amazing once I discovered that. 
that's certainly a hack and I didn't know that and I'm about to be an auntie so I will be going and buying one of those curtains. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just like once I discovered it, I was like, this is life-changing. You can be in the room and they don't even know because they've got the blind over the thing. Yeah. Amazing. What is one piece of advice that you would give someone that has gone through a similar situation to you? Hmm, probably... I guess like you are not alone and however you choose to honour your baby or whatever you choose to do is completely right for you and your family. Um, I know when you, you know, have a living baby, there's always that feeling of comparison. Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing enough? That exists as well, I think, when people have lost a baby. You know, I'm conscious that somebody might have heard this and gone, oh, well, I haven't done those things that Megan did that doesn't mean you have to, you know, you still love your baby. You honour your baby however, um, yeah, suits you. And can I add in one thing? I thought your question was going to be a piece of advice for people that helping others who have lost a baby um, because yep. I just wanted to say use their baby's name. That's the best thing I can say to anyone who knows someone who's lost a baby. Please use their name, ask their name, um, refer to them as their baby. And is there anything else that you want to add to this conversation? No, I feel like we've definitely covered it all. <laughs> Your story has come across beautifully. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for being so strong and courageous to get on here and tell your story because like you said it's not easy people haven't spoken about it but you are breaking down those barriers and at the end of the day you're helping so many women who have either gone through an experience or someone who knows someone who's going through a similar experience and ways that you can best support them so thank you so much and congratulations on everything that you have done oh that's one more thing that we need to add in where can we find where where can we find still a mum um, any online retailers. I think my publisher said some bookstores are starting to get it. If you want to order it through your bookstore, you can, but obviously it's quite a niche um, sort of thing. But yeah, Booktopia, Book Depository, wherever you buy your books or Amazon, anywhere online, just look up Still and Mum Megan Donaldson and you'll be able to find it. And where can we find you for Violet's Gift? Uh, yeah, so on social media, um, Facebook is just Violet's Gift and Instagram is Violet underscore gift. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Megan, again for coming on. Um, I appreciate you so much and what a beautiful story you have to share. And I feel like I've been touched by Violet and Arlo and Chris and your family. And I'm sure so many other people are going to feel that too. Thank you so much, Mom. Thank you for listening to today's episode of MIDI. Your support means the absolute world to me. So if you loved this episode and want to stay up to date with the latest interviews and midwifery education, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. For further information about this episode, please check the show notes below. If you wish to share your pregnancy and motherhood experience, you can get in touch with me by emailing hello at themidisociety.com.au and find us on Instagram at at themidisociety or at Monique underscore Maitland. I cannot wait for you to join me next week. I'll be talking all things flap chat. In the meantime, I hope you have an amazing week and remember you're doing the best you can. Mm-hmm.